This episode of the Hatmakers podcast is brought to you by Hatblocks Australia, makers of fine timber hat blocks and hat making tools. My, what a peculiar place to have a party. Welcome to the Tea Party, the Hatmakers podcast where we connect with hatters from around the world. Talk hats and hat making to build the community and share tips and tricks to take your hat making to the next level. So sit back, pour yourself a brew, and settle in because here comes the show. On this episode of the Hatmakers Podcast, we're chatting with Willie Roberts from Humpui Hats. Based out of San Francisco, California, Willie's hat making journey began with a pilgrimage to South America. From sitting alongside traditional Bolivian hatters to working for the Gurren Brothers Hat Co., from learning the craft for himself to now working with Furias to create the highest quality hat bodies, Willie has lived and breathed the hatter's path for over a decade. Willie sees his hats as a tool for transformation, serving as a vehicle for inner healing. I found Willie's words to be wise and enlightening, and I'm sure you will too on this episode of the Hatmakers Podcast. Yeah, cool. I mean, I, I remember being a little boy sneaking into my dad's closet, pulling down this white Stetson. It was my great-grandfather's. He was a coat maker in New York. And I would touch it. I would, like, smell it. If I was feeling brave, I would, like, put it on. I would imagine this man, my great grandfather, the life that he lived. And as a little boy, I remember the softness and the strength in that hat, its resiliency to be able to survive all these generations when nothing except me, I think maybe there's like a pocket watch or money clip or something, something metal that survived that's like clearly strong, but this like soft felt, you know, that like featherweight felt like had made it through and that touched me as a little boy and i and i imagined the adventures that he had you know riding horses and like getting into whatever he was getting into and that he cared enough to like put on a nice hat in the morning um yeah and that balance of masculine and feminine energies kind of moved through you know as i've developed in my life as i've followed this path of you know, hats for, for my whole life in some way or another. I mean, the evidence all makes sense when you like look back and there's like all of these little signs along the way that this was like destined for me that I, um, I deepened my understanding of that prayer of masculine and feminine in a hat, but there was a time that it was the, um, I worked with the right side as the masculine and the left side as the feminine. Um, and I was sitting on a hill in, in South America at one time. And it dawned on me that the brim is in fact the masculine, right? It's like the protection. It like goes in first. It like keeps it like safe, you know? And I see these like little girls and these wide brim hats in the club and they're like feeling like there's a lot, there's a little bit more of a, you know, protection. Space a and, protection. and then the crown as the feminine, right? That rises above, receives the intuition, you know, um, is the nest, right? Mm. Or like we have like, like this is like a much more phallic and this is like much more. And then where they meet in the middle is the balance point, And that's where we decorate and that's where your head touches. So this whole, 
you know, prayer that's coming through these hats is for every hat that is made here is the balancing of the masculine and feminine in ourselves, in our relations with the our relatives and with the you know mother earth and the father sky so people will bring their own prayers to this but that's the prayer that i'm carrying for all the hats and i think the hats can help us with that absolutely so is that something that you've always kind of felt and acknowledged or is that something that you've had to learn and grow with on your own journey well the you know the um the path of if I if I look back in my life from when I was a little boy from my earliest memories, including the memory of this hat, and you know in preschool I like I was the I was I played cat you know the storybook caps for sale. No, I don't know. Uh, it's about a a man. It's popular here. It was popular when I was a kid. About a man cap peddler that he stacks all his hats on his head and he goes and he falls asleep under a tree, and all the monkeys come and take his hats. And then they throw his, and then he gets all mad at them. And then he throws the hats back. All the monkeys throw the hats at him and he gets all his hats back. Um, it's called caps for sale. And there's a peddler and he says, caps for sale, caps for sale, 15 cents a cap. And I in preschool was cast as the cap salesman. There's a video of it available. <laughs> Maybe I'll send it to you for the comments. But, um, you know, it's like all these signs are just sitting there. It was a, it was a, um, and there were, and there were kind of two streams that were always uh, weaving in and out of each other. Um, you know, one of them was, uh, you know, a real questioning of like some of the things that were being, that felt like a given. Well, asking questions about things actually that there weren't a lot of answers about, right? Like life and death and God and, what's the meaning of it all like from a really young age i was like trying out different religions and like i was like really interested in those kinds of questions and looking towards wherever i could to get the answers and i was also really into hats um and when my dad got my father got sick when i was pretty young and he got uh more sick when i was 17 18 leaving home for the first time and i started um <clears throat> i was introduced to uh, medicine ways uh, with, by some elders, indigenous elders here and in South America that came into my, you know, young life when I needed, mm -hmm. you know, help and um, needed help for my family and needed help for myself trying to kind of understand what was going on or not understand, but some other modality to work with it because what the doctors were offering at that time did not look like a, a so did, didn't look like a solution. Um, and around that time, you know, in those years, and then I started making that prayer and I started, and I started learning those songs and learning some of those protocols of those ceremonies. And then as, um, very gratefully and humbly and doing the, you know, and aware, you know, as aware as I can be of, of, um, well, that's a whole longer story for another time, but I started making hats. Um, started making them you know as mm -hmm. and um yeah it all just really clicked but we're getting probably getting ahead of ourselves we can get I ahead just, behind to the side it doesn't matter my friend yeah, we're let's go, go anywhere all, yeah we'll, and we'll bring it all back yeah it always comes back to the hat <laughs> it comes back to the hat but yeah it um kind of going back to where you were before like 
what do you think it is about a hat? It's, it is kind of like a mysterious, uh, mystical object. Yeah. You know? I mean, I noticed that many of the medicine people that I began meeting all wore hats. Um, I started looking into it and found that in most traditions throughout time, like you either put on your hat to pray or you take off your hat when you're going to pray. But in, in some ways, uh, demarcates the um, sacred from the mundane. Mm -hmm. um, one time I even went to Brooklyn and tried to find out about the hats of the the Jewish people, the Hasidic people, which are, you know, like the medicine hats of my people. That's a good story too. Um, but maybe we'll save it. I don't know. How long is this thing? How long we can you take as long as you like, my friend. I'm, I'm ready for the stories. Yeah. Okay. I was, so I'd go into, into Borough Park, like way out in this community that's, um, it's like mixed uh, Hasidic and um, Latino community. And they, um, it's just like, a, it just feels like the shtetl. It feels like, you know, totally old country out there. And I like kind of look like everybody else, except they're all wearing black. And I got like my white, you know, <laughs> wide brim. And I got like a fringe coat on back then with like the, you know, like a suede fringe coat and like the whole thing. And he, and the guy didn't want to let me in. I found out that there was one shop left that's still making the hats. Um, the rest of them are all made in China at this point, but there's one guy still making them. And uh, so he, so I wind up at his door and he doesn't want to let me in. And then, cause they, they keep the door locked. And then I like kind of sneak my way in and he's just kind of like ignoring me. But then the rabbi comes in. Cause this is the most popping hat shop I've ever been into. I mean, there are like, there's like 10 people in there. The only time I've seen hat shops this popping is in the Andes, <laughs> which makes sense. Cause these are places where people are still wearing their hats every day, you mm -hmm. know? And if you're wearing your hat every day, you know, it's going to need attention. It's going to need love. You're going to be thinking about the next one. So I asked the question, right? Because there's like some variation in the hats, right? Some of them have a round top, some have a flat top. Um, there are some other hats that like, are like the big fur hats, but I'm talking about the blocked hats I was curious about. So I asked him when I finally get his attention because the rabbi comes in and I start chopping it up with the rabbi and the rabbi really liked me. So then once he saw that the rabbi liked me, he was like, okay, I'll get, I'll like give this guy the time of day for a second. And, um, and uh, so I asked him, what's up with these different shapes? Because I figured that it probably said something about something. Like if you're like in the Andes, it's usually like, you know, you can tell a lot about someone's hat, right? Like where they're from, if they're married, like there's a lot of signifiers that come through the hat. Um, it turns out that in the Hasidic community, the hat is just that he was just basically like, he wears that hat because it looks good on him. He wears that hat because that's the way he likes it. And I got what I realized is that like, besides whether or not you choose to wear white socks or black socks, the type of hat you wear is like the only like expression that these that this community, the men in this community get to like, have any kind of, you know, expression choice of what they're going to wear, basically, is like just in the hat. And I was like, Okay, that sounds like a medicine hat. For sure. You know, and so, yeah, I, I guess I just saw that in all of these and I kept meeting all of these like, you know, amazing indigenous people that loved hats and were like, when I could gift them a hat, they were like stoked. It was like something that like me as like a non-native person coming to like 
you know, try to work, like get some help from these like medicine people that I could bring them, you know, a beautifully crafted hat and that they would be down. And I realized that hats had the capacity to, you know, outlive us. I have found that people have so many little pieces in their lives that are from ancestors that want, that are like living in a sock drawer, you know, like the spare earring or scarf or tie or whatever. And then people are saving these things, but they're just collecting dust in boxes. And um, what a nice thing to be able to like immortalize it on a hat that will then you know, get to walk with your ancestors and carry on, uh, you know, to the next generation. So the hat, I think of the hat as like, um, I think of it as like, at least in this, in my world of hats, which mm -hmm. is the only world of hats that I get the pleasure of living in, uh, you know, it's, it is a, uh, there is a web, there is a network, there is a ecosystem of beings, human and non-human that are um, all connected through the hat and it's you know mm -hmm. and 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 the medicine moves through them the you know the uh the money moves through them the you know all of it is able at this moment is able to sustain a lot and create you know life mm -hmm. um through the hat so that's what i like that's what i'm uh you know dedicated to that's what i love about that's what keeps me really going with it i mean i love the art like i love making it that's but that those sorts of things you know kind of secondary to to the deeper this, i mean i love it i would do that i would do it anyway you know mm -hmm. the the creative piece but like it comes naturally you know like we have a million ideas for mm -hmm. hats so we're always we're always creating new hats and new ideas and trying like that that's almost like autopilot because it doesn't i don't have to think about it so much i just have to make the time to do it you know but the the business side of it there's a lot of room for hats to really support a lot and that i i interest myself in that too you know i talk to young people that are trying to figure out what to do with their lives and i'm like if you can do art and business like you might make it because most artists have very little business sense and most business people have very little artistic sense, you know, and thank, thank the goodness of it all that I've been able to, you know, bring other people in that balance out the places that I'm missing and that I balance out the places that they're missing. And like, there is a good little core team here. So let me turn that off. That's, um, that is supporting this and supported by this. Um, but the network runs really wide out into like all corners of artisan markets all across the world and these nutria trappers because we're doing all this we have this whole nutria you know hat body business that's a part yeah. of what we're doing um you know through the people hurting the alpaca for this leather sweatbands that we use you know, through the, you know, all the weavers and the beaters and the metalsmiths and the, you know, the straw, the people that are processing the straw and weaving the straw. And we've, we, it has been our, um, it has been our intention and our North Star to be in direct relation with these people, to be as far up the food chain as we can be with all of it mm -hmm. from the beginning. Um, and in doing so, really be able to ensure that everyone's being taken care of. And that we're not losing too much on all of the like, you know, middle people, which when you're dealing with indigenous people are usually ripping them off, like taking 
you know, huge cuts because these people are disconnected from the market generally. So if people are going to come and buy up their weavings or what have you, you know, that, that small piece of the chain, like tons of what could be money for the weavers gets eaten up there. Yeah. Man, there's so much to, uh, I'm a rambler, Jack. That. I hope that's okay. I love it. I love Direct it. Direct me or cut me. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to be on your train, but I'll just go and not stop. You Man, know? I want to jump in the UFO with you and uh, traverse the universe and the cosmos. Ooh. Yeah, man. I think like what you were saying there um, about so many things, about the masculine and the feminine, joining those two things together, joining the business and the art sides together. I think that's a huge theme in what you're doing. Um, but yeah, also with what you're doing with the Nutria and the, the felts and then, uh, yeah, going up the food chain with all those things, that's an interesting story too. So how about we start with, um, well, let's introduce you. Who are you and, and where you're from? Hello. <laughs> Greetings. My name is Willie, um, Willie Reed Roberts. I am, uh, I was born in Lake Tahoe, raised in, uh, Berkeley in Oakland. I currently reside in, um, West Marin up on the coast. Um, our workshop is in Berkeley and we have a store in San Francisco. So I kind of triangulate the bay. Yeah. I am. Um, oh, I, so yeah, I um, make hats under the name of Hampui hats. And we also make, uh, hat bodies and supply, uh, hat materials, very high quality, sustainable, least sourced hat materials under sunrise hat supplies. Yes, yeah, some of the the nicest hat bodies getting around. You like this? Absolutely. Yeah, Ooh. beautiful. That Nutria felt something special, yeah. So, all right. So your grandfather, your grandfather had this beautiful hat up in the attic that you still have. Great-grandfather. Uh, Great-grandfather. Dad's that, dad's dad, straight wow. up the paternal line. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Lineage there. And so that kind of maybe was your first interaction with hats, but how did you get into the actual hat making itself? So the, yeah, so a lot of signs through my youth. I met a hat maker when I was in Bolivia doing research for my honors thesis right at the end of um, college, uh, my undergraduate degree. Um, and yeah, I had been studying international relations and Native American studies, and I was living in northern Bolivia in the jungle. And I met a man named Don Oscar, who was making hats in a little stall in La Paz, um, you know, maybe like 10 by 15 foot stall, pot of water, super, super simple. And I was like, wow, this can be done with like very little. Um, and I, we kicked it for a couple of days. I like bottom beers. I watched him work. I didn't touch the felt, but we just hung out. You know, I, we liked each other. Um, then I finished school. I wound up, uh, moving to new Orleans after, uh, after I finished school, um, short side story. I wound up in a lawsuit during a, uh, for a police brutality case during the Occupy times and wound up with a settlement that would then become the seed money that would start Hampui a couple of years later. But right when I finished, I wound up going to New Orleans to work, um, to do like work in, uh, in like prison reform stuff, helping incarcerated people. Um, 
and wound up selling hats on the weekends at Gorn Brothers Hat Shop in the French Quarter, just slanging, slanging hats on the weekends to tourists. Um, but what I did get there is I got a wall of all kinds of different shaped hats and colored hats and I got all kinds of different faces of people coming in all over from all over the world and I got really good at sizing people up for their hat which translated to when I was making it for them obviously to be able to see a face and know what's going to work for them but it was cool practice to just be like okay I got all these hats and like and like nine times out of ten I'd put a hat on them they'd go try on a bunch of other hats and they'd come back to that first hat because there is like a little bit of an art and a little bit of a science to seeing a face and knowing what, you know, what is going to most, um, ele- you know, elegantly frame what is already mm-hmm. there, which I found is actually like not to actually like exaggerate the features that are already there. So like I'd have people come in and, and I'd, they'd put on, they'd have a longer face and I'd put on like a taller hat and they'd be like, I don't want my hat. Like my face is already long, while well, I don't want a tall crown. But actually, you want that symmetry, right? Like if a face if a if a face is long, it actually wants a taller hat. Yeah. Right. Like Abe Lincoln, Marlboro Man. Right. Like long face, tall. A short round face is actually going to want like a little pork pie hat, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not that you actually want to, uh, like take what's there and minimize it. You actually want to take what's there and like maximize it, right? Like I got a big nose, a lot of hair. Like I can't wear a little brim because it'll yeah. just get eaten up by everything. Um, so I liked that, you know, I liked getting to learn that there. I didn't really make hats. And then I came back, uh, to California after a few years in New Orleans and, um, and I started and I was still working for the Gorham brothers and taking care of my father who had gotten kind of taken his final push towards the end of his life and, um, came back and was helping him working in the Gorham store. And, um, I started taking apart hats and putting them back together. I, um, found a man in San Francisco named Wayne Witchern that who's wonderful man doing a, a lot more like kind of millinery, you know, church and theater hats. Um, but he taught me, he taught me what he could teach me in some days. And I was grateful. Definitely like got me on my way. Um, you know, one day this beautiful woman came in and she said, what's up with your hat when I was working at the store? And I was like, Oh, I made this. And she wanted to pay me for it. And I was like, oh, damn, this could work. Let's try this. And, uh, you know, and I just I had a lot of visions that I just wanted to try to do, you know, and I and I remembered that there were such beautiful hats in South America and I wanted to go back and and see what's possible there. So I quit working for Goran. I had a loving conversation that I'm going to bounce and we'll come back together. And we are back together. We never really left each other. I just stopped working for them and started working with them. Yeah. Um, but I. Uh, I strapped on my backpack, started in Ecuador. I had been going down there a bunch, but, um, you know, for all those years at this point, I spoke Spanish and knew my way around more or less. Started in Ecuador, Monte, Christ- Monte Cristi to Cuenca and kind of got the straw dialed, went through Peru and kind of saw what was there, got got to know some really amazing weavers, um, and then found the 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 felt in Bolivia really you know this amazing i got off the bus all bleary eyed i'd been on the bus all night you know like 10 hours through the night all <laughs> and i got my backpack on I'm, i've already been on the road like three months you know just like doing the backpacker thing um looking for hat, one hat maker to the next you know like i mean i must have visited 
30 hat makers on that trip. Um, and I, and it's a Sunday morning and nothing's open and I'm looking for a cup of coffee and there's only one spot open and it's a law office. And I go and he's like, you know, what are you looking for gringo? And I said, I am looking for a cup of coffee. And he said, I'll make you a cup of coffee. And he sat me down and he said, so what are you looking for though? Like, cause it was like, you know, it wasn't like definitely not like on the like tourist gringo trail where I was already at this point. And then I would go somewhere even less on that trail. He, I said, I need it. I'm really looking for hats. And he said, I know the guy. And he got his buddy on the phone. And the next thing I knew, I had found my partner in it. And he didn't have any distribution up here. You know, he was making hats for the domestic market and making felt that he was selling. But he he, he didn't have, um, we developed it. We spent the last however many, that was 2014. Mm-hmm. So almost 10 years, we've been like working together you know, making it happen. He makes all the felt, uh, and then he blocks and sweats our wool hats and then he makes our fur and then we finish the fur in house. We make the fur in house here and we finish the wool in house here, except for the big orders that we do all with him. We source the trim and he finishes them. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome. It's like, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's that connect. We got that connect and now we have, you know, we're, we talk like all day. We're in it together. Yeah. So South right. America has played a, a big role in your hat making journey. For sure. And I knew it would be, you know, I mean, I was, I was buying bodies from Winchester and doing that thing. And, and I just, I could feel the wave of hat makers on the way, mm-hmm. you know, and I could feel and I just remembered that, you know, I just knew that the hat culture was strong, you know, I, you know, I, that there are places where people, where everyone is, where most people are still wearing hats and there's a lot more people making hats there. Yeah. Um, and may we all find ourselves back there again. Uh, they tend to be a bit more of an outdoor culture. It seems totally. to me. I mean, People that have no conception of like what I mean when I'm talking about making medicine hats or medicine coming from these communities, which is cool. I mean, people have varying degrees of relationship to the indigenous people mm-hmm. where they live, which is fair. And it's good to be in relation with those people where we can. But even without any of that understanding of the medicine that's moving through these hats, keeping the sun off your face is crucial. <laughs> it's crucial. It's there's it's like this. We should be wearing hats. It yeah. is medicine. It is preventative medicine. There's plenty of reasons to be wearing hats before we get anywhere near the aesthetic or spiritual reasons. Just in the material, physical world, we should be wearing hats. Functional. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we know. Anyone watching this podcast, I don't need to sell you on. I'm sold. I'm... Why hats are great. <laughs> I want one. Um, <laughs> how do you... So what do you think about, like, well, just as a side thing, what do you think about the shifting uh, indoor environment that people are getting locked into? How do, you, how do you move people outside and then how do you start selling them hats? Yeah. I mean, I believe it. I believe that people are stuck on their computers all day. I'm not living that lifestyle personally. And it's hard to imagine. Mm. Um, 
you know, having to, you know, people not, uh, not being, you know, immersed in their environment. Um, I mean, how do you, how do we move the people outside, you know, make it fun or let them help them to realize that they don't have that much more time to be doing all of these, you know, fun things if we don't, you know, engage ourselves with it. But there's definitely like, I don't know. There's so many like accessibility issues in terms of like getting people outdoors and like who it's accessible for, you know, who is like really accessible for to like access the resources and like the recreation that, you know, make it easy for people to really fall in love with being outside. But I mean, yeah, it's hard. I think for, I think, I think most people, I think many people feel they're closest to God when they are outside, you know? So that's a nice time to be wearing a hat too. Absolutely. Hmm. So, yeah. I'm, go ahead. I was just going to take it back to um, meeting your felt maker in Bolivia. Are yeah. They, are they doing your Nutria felts as well? Or is it yeah. basically yep. just... So, uh, yep. he's, so his father um his father grew up like super you know seen zapatos like countryside without uh, shoes yeah and um and he you know just like kind of you know figured out through his story how to um get into law school and became a lawyer and then like you know was like big and like the he was like a big he became like a big lawyer from how I understand the story mm-hmm. and then fell in love with hats. Um, this was his, no, not his father, his great, grand, his grandfather. So he's third generation now with it. So he, um, yeah, they, they uh, produce the wool up in the highlands and then we make the fur in the lowlands. It's two different factories. And then we finish mm-hmm. and he has, the wool factory he's like in with the rest of his family and the fur factory was kind of his project. And then the block that we started the blocking operation there as well. Awesome. And yeah, I'm just, man, so many things to go with. I'm not sure which direction right now. Um, so you're doing the nutria felt as well and you're working with trappers and is that yep. in trappers in Florida? Because there's an abundance. Yeah, they're, of all, they're all over. They're invasive nutria. all over. I mean, yeah. the story of the nutria, is, I mean, it's like kind of the story of our times. I got turned on to them in New Orleans, mm-hmm. in Louisiana, which is, um, you know, that coastline is losing a football field of land every minute. It's the fastest eroding coastline in the entire world. Um, <clears throat> and part of the reason is because the mangroves that, you know, protect where, well, they built levees on the Mississippi River. They shot all the silt out into the Gulf of Mexico instead of feeding the, you know, the delta. Yeah. Right, which, you know, should bring the fresh water and the silt to help these mangroves to live. The mangroves are dying. Nutria were introduced, I think, sometime in the 1800s um, as a, like, get-rich-quick scheme for people to make, uh, to grow them for fur because they have, mm-hmm. you know, their furs. It works as well as beaver for all purposes right it's like soft waterproof strong um they escaped they're running amok 
all throughout the Delta and and in rivers in in Delta systems all over the world. I mean, they're they've been found. I think on like I think on every continent. They're all over the place. They're they're major plaga. In Louisiana, they pay eight dollars a tail uh, as a bounty conservation for conservation efforts, and then um, they sell the meat for dog food, and we take the fur. Awesome. And are you sending that fur down to Bolivia to get processed? Yeah, and then the fur gets yeah. processed. Well, it gets processed in a few different places. It turns into hat bodies in Bolivia. All right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 And- I mean, it works and it's, you know, it's, I mean, beavers are also causing problems in some places, but you can talk to any environmentalist and they will definitely tell you that nutria are causing more problems than beavers beavers are more supportive to the places that they live mm-hmm. than the nutria that are like actually causing serious trouble so if we can put the economic incentive behind taking care of the nutria it seems like a win win-win situation yeah and it, for a long time nutria you know the stetson x's were beaver or nutria to rabbit right like they were yeah. they were considered equivalent in terms of their their quality for hat making. The only reason that they stopped using it is because they're ugly. They're ugly animals. <laughs> they have big, ugly yellow teeth and they have this big, you know, rodent tail. Long tail. Yeah. And they went out of style with like the, you know, fur, the fur people, but like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. You're I mean, not buying a, the tail. Nice yeah. <laughs> you're buying, you're buying the, the fur. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good. You know, I want to, I want to use the limited time that I have here in this, you know, incarnation to do as much good as I can. So if I can move the people towards trying to, you know, use more nutria fur, like that's a good thing. That feels like a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. They're beautiful felts. Some and they're favorite. nice. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and they block nice and they make nice hats. And they're beautiful. Like the, the texture, the way they feel, um, like the, the thickness, how easy they are to, uh, to shape and to, to yeah, work they're buttery. with. And they yeah. have this particular smell about them too. I don't, I like it. I like it. Well, I'm glad you like them. If I have your stamp of approval, I feel really good. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So did you, so you learned, uh, in the States and how did you get started? Like you, you talked to this milliner hat maker. So I had tapped. Yeah. I had like, I had dipped my toes in when I was in Bolivia and then I was working in the hat shop for a while. And then I came back and got like a little bit of tutelage under this man, Wayne. And then, yeah, a lot of just ripping them up and putting them back together. Back then there were less people making hats. So equipment was easier to find, you know, you could still find blocks at thrift stores for 20 bucks and, you know, there was like, and, you know, little by little, I've acquired my beloved equipment from different corners of the world. I'm a little bit of a equipment junkie for hats. I like covet all the things I don't have. Yeah. Is there anything you don't have? Yeah. I want a finger blocker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What Not a- cheap. No, not too cheap, especially the newer ones. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you look, would you get a, a vintage one or have you been looking at some of the newer I, ones? Um, I got a guy that, that, that can make me one. That, like, I mean, it looks like an old one, but, yep. you know, said so they could forge it. 
Yeah, cool. It's an investment one day. Yeah, yeah, one day. And they're also hard to move. Heavy. Yeah, you need yeah. a bit of equipment to, to run them too, Yeah, I think. Yeah, you got to have like serious steam. Yeah, generators and things like that. So yeah. what's your um, shop set up like now or your production area? Well, I got my like blocking station behind me. Got, this is the press. Nice. I got my trusty FAF. 1222 that I've been using since day one. This was cool. I found this in Brooklyn. But oh, wow. Post press. I mean, you go into hat factories and they're like, you know, there's like plenty of them, but to actually have one in a little shop like this is fun. And it moves things along. Have you got all the uh, crown shapes? Like, you know, I, or... I, it, it came with a few crowns over there mm -hmm. um and then i went on a stupid adventure last year my buddy has a little cessna and the guy that makes the molds is in mexico and it was uh -huh. like the same price in gas to go get them <laughs> as it was to <laughs> ship them so we'd flip this little cessna down <laughs> to Guanajuato to pick them up which was a it was a mission man leaving you Coming back we were like you know it's like a high altitude airport and they were going off with like big jets. He doesn't speak any Spanish trying to talk to air traffic control. And we're trying to take off and there's a mountain range right there. And these blocks are heavy. You didn't realize how heavy they were going to be. It was a hot day. So he can't get enough altitude. So he sends me to the back, start pulling these blocks up to the front <laughs> to try to get enough nuts so we can get ourselves up over the hill. But we got over it. Um, but yeah, I went and got a set of open crowns, basically. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, I still go and finish them off, but like, for like getting a piece of felt over a block, it, mm -hmm. it's it's nice. So are you I still do a lot of them by hand. I still love yeah. blocking them by hand. I still block many hats by hand, um, especially if people just don't want a fifty-two, which yep. plenty of people don't want a fifty-two. But if you want a fifty-two, it's nice and it's clean. It's just like, yeah, you know, you don't need a plate or. Um, this is OG. Not mm -hmm. the I don't have the plate for it, but it's the actual singer, not the knockoff. I really like this um, Sailrite machine as a good portable machine. It's for doing sails. Yeah, I know but, those um, ones. Have you seen those before? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some people like them, some people don't, but it's never done me wrong, and it's really they're really easy to fix. Uh, I don't know. You want a little tour? Yeah, please. Love to see. This is my workshop. I we have a store in San Francisco that's like less of a shit show, but right. um. This is like, uh, you know, it's just. It's all happening. I mean, it's just wild always. Lots of hat bodies, lots of trim. It's never not. It's never not crazy in here. Got a little record so situation. That press that you use, are you, are you using that to block your your felts? What's that? That press that yeah that you've got some of them. So that's yep. All right, and then you can, <clears throat> but you can take like a blocked. Um, felt and then you can press it like with the crown shape as well is that right or do you just use the crown shape and you can press any crown shape without having to like block it first uh, I usually just block them open on the press wait ask a question yeah. one more time yeah so you, do you block them first open on the press and then if you want to put like a crown shape in you have like yeah. another block that you can use to, to press a crown um, shape I have like some wooden I have wooden crown blocks alright yeah I have wooden crown blocks or I'll just do it by hand. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, this is like, this is some of the trim situation. 
That's nice. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like it in here. I hang out here a lot. You got some nice bands from um down in South America too that I've seen. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got we have wonderful partnerships all over. All the magic. And there's like office back there and there's like distressing and you know, sweat band stamping and all that on the other yeah. side. So how many do you have people working for you for the hat production? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I got a gal named Kiki. She's awesome. She went to she went to school in Paris to make dresses. She's from Oakland as well. Uh, probably overqualified for what I've asked her to do. But she, you know, she got us all in order here. And then she's got a crew of like two or three people. I mean, there's like kind of a rotating crew of people that can help. That, But there's like two or three kind of dedicated people that come through. Yeah. But we keep it chill. You know, we try to just like enjoy ourselves as we were yeah so you got your fingers in a few pies i saw that you've done like a lot of um collaborating with the goran goran is it goran goran brothers yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's what's that relationship like and, and what do you guys right, do so ben goran is um he's third generation hat maker from san francisco he like you know he's got got the same kind of curls uh he's just like a you know He's like a hat loving Bay Area freak. We relate on a lot of things. We always liked each other. Uh, I met him when I was in New Orleans working at his store. I mean, I was just so excited that there was a hat store that I could like work at and like get paid. I mean, I went in there the first time to like, I was like, I'll trade just like hours for hats, you know, like I don't need to get paid. I just want to be around hats. Um, so I was grateful to him that he had hat stores. Um, I didn't like how branded they were. I remember I told him that, but he came out for uh, for for the um, when the Niners were in the Super Bowl and we kicked it till like sunrise. Had a really good time. Uh, I took off and and uh, and then came back, you know, with all these nice hats. So we've done collaborative, uh, you know, design kind of like collections together. Um, I'm actually going to Austin, Texas on monday to i'm going to open like a little custom store inside of his store there nice. and like train up some of his people yeah they've gone really into making like trucker hats that's like the you know it's a it's third generation so like they've gone yeah. through all kinds of different things that they've made throughout the years there was a time that they just made like you know friggin' headbands and earmuffs for like 30 <laughs> years so it's cool they've always yeah. been able to just like reinvent themselves which is awesome but they haven't really been doing blocked hats so i'm going to kind of step in and run support on the blocked hats for them yeah that's nice are you um, mostly doing custom orders or are you doing like a whole bunch of ready to wear and um like wholesale so, type stuff or what's yeah that? i mean i i we do a lot of things i'm i'm doing the i'm doing the fur custom hats mm -hmm. and i usually if people want i'll i'll sit down with them and we'll lay down an altar and make some you know make a prayer around their hat and sometimes people just kick it with me while i make it for the night but it's like a pretty if i'm gonna make someone a hat i get pretty involved yeah i don't do it that much um uh and it's not just like a 
it's not it's not just like a money like you can't just like pay more to do it it's i, I kind of i like kind of feel out the prayers that i and the hats that i want to make yeah. personally uh if not i send you know we have um a crew of people that are making that are kind of doing the finishing custom wool hats for people mm-hmm. uh, here and in our store in san francisco uh, we have a collection online that are like that we make in-house um and then we have some bigger we have boutique there's probably like i don't know like 40 boutiques 30 or 40 boutiques and and then we have some bigger like bigger orders from some some bigger people that we've collaborated with or sold hats to yep and is the Hampui name on that or is it like you're doing like a private label type Hampui name is always on everything the only thing that i've been willing to private label are like for basically blank fur hats yeah because i'm selling people the fur bodies anyway the wool has taken me a long time to make my wool hats feel as nice as they do and you know people a lot of people like turn their nose up at wool but it was always important to me to be able to offer a hat for people that didn't have a ton of money you know i mean i a big part of my market growing up was like communities that or growing up as a hat maker was communities that didn't have a lot of money yeah um and i didn't want to be like you know so having a wool option has always felt important to me also for people that don't want an animal to have to die for their hat to be made yeah um so i spent a lot of time getting this wool just how i like it um and it's i think it's really nice i mean i have people that swear they know hats and can't tell the difference between the wool and the fur um so that's kind of our bread and butter in terms of finished hats just because we've like gotten in that like you know three to four hundred dollar mm-hmm. you know two eighty yeah. three twenty three forty and cool. it's nice it's a nice yeah it's a nice spot for people how do you find the the durability of a of a rabbit felt or your rabbit felts overall like in like in in life expectation of a hat the nutria or the wool? No, with the wool, with the wool. Oh, the wool. Um, I mean, I've seen them come back, you know, five, six years later, being worn all the time, and they look good. Yeah, it's not gonna hold up like a you know pure nutria for a will, and I you know, and I tell people that. But if you can get four or five years out of a hat, you know, yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm, I make myself one hat a year, right around my birthday. Um, so I have as many hats, personal hats as I have years I've been making hats and I'm just going to kind of keep it that way. Yeah. At least for felt. I make myself straw hats all the time. <laughs> You're allowed to have one, one little vice. Yeah. What's your favorite but, uh, style and shape that you uh, like to go with? I mean, my last... My last couple of hats have just been in like this open road shape that everyone's enjoying because it's just it's having a moment and I'm down to be on board. Yeah. Um, I guess this hat and my last felt, but the hats that I was making for the honestly the two years before that were both really tall crown, short brim, tall open crown with a short brim, shorter brim than I'm used to. But um, you know I'm down to clown, so I don't mind. Yeah. a little while you know there was a time that i was like 
in like really wide brims and that time appears to have passed for me at least for now but it can always mm -hmm. come back um i love a good hamburg do you feel like the the styles that you're into um are they more of what what you're selling in those times too as you change through styles and things or do you have like set styles that kind of just continually sell regardless of how you feel about them um I mean, I always want to keep it fresh, you know. I also buy, I get everything in pretty limited amounts, so mm -hmm. everything's always kind of moving through. In terms of shapes, I think I have a pretty good read on it. I'm more adventurous than most hat wearers, except for all you other hat makers out there who are probably just as adventurous as me. So I, you know, I have people, I got to keep people around to be like, <laughs> just that's cool yeah. that's dope you can pull it off but like go slow it's not for everyone yeah but but usually you know i don't do like i don't have like a whole lot of people getting too involved in that sort of thing i like to trust my intuition on it for the most part and trust that if i like something other people will also like it yeah but I'm also not like, you know, I'm not making like a lot of one hat that I have to be like, is this, you know, definitely going to be a good hat or not? Like, it's pretty easy to design a hat, take a photo of it. Yeah, see if it works or not. See if it works. So c coming back to your style of making a hat for someone and, and the connection oh. that you have with someone and that it's more than just like putting things on a hat or shaping a hat, like... What's that process like if, if I was coming to to meet with you and, and you were going to make me an actual medicine hat? You know, I keep it humble. I try not I try to keep it the the hat can be as frilly as we want, but I try to keep the ceremony humble. You know, I um I lay out a little altar on a cloth, uh honoring the seven directions, right? the four cardinals, the sky, the earth, and then the center. Um and then I invite people to like bring their pieces in or work through all of the, you know, myriad pieces of, you know, treasures that I have found from around the world that all carry their own story and their own medicine, if you will. And then I invite people to um, place them on the altar in kind of whatever direction uh, that piece is embodying. And I, and I kind of give a little bit of a description of how I relate to those, to the directions to, to um, make, to make an altar together. We sage down the hat uh, using buffalo sage, or the hat body, excuse mm -hmm. me, um, and like decorate the hat with like sage crowns. Um, and we hold that over the altar and um, I might sing a song and then uh, give just an opportunity to, to make a prayer to however people want to do that. Some people, you know, I'll, I'll usually make some kind of invocation prayer nice and humble and simple just you know welcoming in the you know the ancestors of this person and you know the um you know elementals that create life and all of the relations that might benefit also from you know this hat being born and we celebrate the person that's making the hat right that's who we're there for and um and we invite them to 
make their own prayer. And some people will speak from their heart. Some people will sing a song. Some people will say a word. Some people will be silent. Uh, it's all welcome, and everything that's not said finds its way in. And, you know, we trust that it's happening how it should happen, and it never looks the same twice. Um, and I invited to be co-created. You know, I didn't, I didn't receive this particular ceremony from anyone. Um, I've learned some things that feel that they help ceremonial flow um, and help the energies move and help the prayers get moving that I've had the privilege to learn from, you know, teachers that I've gotten to be in relation with throughout my life. Um, but because I wasn't handed the ceremony, I don't feel a lot of dogma around it. Like, I don't feel like it has to be done in a certain way. Whereas if I'm being taught, like handed a ceremony with other types, I'll be much more careful to just do it the way that it was taught. But since it's of my own dreaming um, and just, you know, that the hat just becomes a tool uh, for people to make a prayer and to connect with, you know, their highest and greatest purpose and remember, you know, whatever their, you know, that original instruction was that, you know, is there, you know, reason that they're that they're here and um and i hear amazing stories from people you know i hear i've heard of hats leading to very you know miraculous things or or that ceremony what was said triggering things you know that help people out and i don't know i mean i'm not i'm certainly not healing anyone i don't think the hat is healing anyone it, it i think that it is all an opportunity for people you know to engage in their own prayer and and it's a and it's an easy avenue into that prayer. There's not because there's not a lot of dogma, because there's not like you don't have to do it any kind of way. And I invite the co creation and I and I want people to feel inspired because from in making of the ceremony, because from the ceremony we go we take those pieces and it becomes a blueprint for how we're gonna make the hat. So if I can get people's creative juices going in their prayer, um that energy translates into a beautiful hat and and every single time is a miracle and it always works perfectly and it always looks perfect and i mean occasionally there's like a little sizing thing that needs to get worked out but for the most part it's like really clean now i got a conformator so now it really is chill but thank goodness god i was like oh, they used to be chill and now I'm yeah. like, oh my god i better get one before <laughs> there's none left absolutely I, like, I should have bought that 10 years ago and it was like a quarter of the price but yeah uh, but but it's all a collaboration yeah this prayer is a collaboration the all the medicine pieces that come in here it's a collaboration right when i'm like designing a hat i'm like designing with the vision of the weaver that wove it you know or with the you know the metalsmith that you know etched it or or, or whatever the pieces and because i know these artisans that i work with i feel like i'm constantly you know, in flow with them and then in flow with these people and then in flow with these, you know, the customer and their ancestors and like, what was grandma's style that she was wearing that necklace? Okay, we're working with her now. She's in the room. Um, and that's, you know, I think it's really important to stay connected to our ancestors, not because they're here, because they're guiding us. They All we got to do is listen to our own intuition, right? Like we are them, like we are the product of their genetic material and our um and the stories that they told uh and the stories that you know maintain so like they're here they're in us they're with us it also you know connecting to the generations before opens up all of this connection to the generations to come and 
there's um, it's really important that we think about the generations to come, like all the time, because we have um, we have responsibilities. I heard something cool. This elder told me the other day. He said, um, he said in in this modern culture, we think a lot about our rights, what we have rights to, and that everyone should have equal rights. And he said, you know, in 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 his culture, in his way, Lakota man, he said, in his way, we don't have rights. We just have responsibilities. Mm. We don't have a right to any of it. We just have responsibilities, you know, to our relations, to all of our relations. So I think, you know, I think about that a lot in how I'm trying, in how I try to make hats of people, what I try to open up in this prayer, you know, of like, what are, what are the commitments that we're ready to make? You know, what are the responsibilities that we want to take on in our life? Um, and, or who, or not that we want to, but who do we feel that we have these responsibilities to? Yeah. Um, and that, and, you know, and then what kind of commitments can we make to try to do right by them? And like the other beautiful thing about using hats as this, as this way in is that they're so fun and like kind of, they're like so sacred and like deep, but they're also like light and frivolous. And like, they're like, you know, I mean, you know what happens when you like walk into a party wearing a hat. It's like, it's like fun. People, people associate it with like. With like some, you know, the Mad Hatter, right? Like they're like mm-hmm. the tea party, like this is, and that's great. We need humor. We need to, the levity for the depth to have room. We need the levity for us to continue on like this. We need, And when they can come together like that, which I think is something that we are able to touch with hats. And I think that's one of the reasons that so many of us that walk that line of depth and levity, you know, I think. Cause I see, you know, like, I mean, obviously there's like a lot of like bearded hat makers with curly hair. Here we are. Like we're an archetype <laughs> out here in the hat world for sure. What up my bearded homies? But there's also a lot of not bearded curly haired hat makers out there. There's like a lot of diversity of people making hats right now. And if I see the thing that connects all of the people that I'm watching making hats, it's like they got a pretty good grasp on like being like pretty real and like that, like kind of like you know, uh, grounded or feeling the, you know, the weight or seriousness of getting fitted for a hat, having a beautiful hat made for you, everything that goes into it. And they're also like down to like have fun. Yeah. And like enjoy it while they're here. And I think there's something about the hat that attracts a certain type of people to making it. And the more people that I see making hats, and, and, you know, people that are fresh to making hats are like stoked. You know, I've seen them on the Instagram. Like, bless all of you. If you're listening to this, like, keep doing it. It's amazing. And like, you know, and like everyone's going to do it differently. It's good if you can get people to help you out. Um, we're down to support, you know. But I see all these new hat makers and I'm like, yes, this is like, there's a thing that's bringing people to do this. And like, bless them all. I remember being back in the day back when like there was like another wave right like i wasn't first with i mean whatever like of like modern hat makers right mm-hmm. like after hats like went dormant and like just the cowboy hat makers were surviving and the hasids and then there was like this resurgence of you know hat makers in like the early 2000s and then like i was like second wave 
And then like third wave was like big and like fourth wave was like even bigger. I don't even know what wave we're on now, but there's like a lot of hat makers. And I, and I remember talking to some hat makers earlier on and, and seeing a lot of people feeling like really, like there was like a split camp in the hat making world and like half, maybe not half, but there was like one camp that was like, they look out at a party and they see, you know, 95 people not wearing hats and only five people wearing hats. And they're like, oh my God, there's only five people wearing hats. Like, I better guard my materials. I better guard my knowledge. I better guard my customer base because there's only five people out there to make hats for. And then there's the other camp that sees 95 people to make hats for. Yeah. You know, and I've always been in that camp. I've always seen all ships rising in this world and hats just being more, you know, accepted, assuming that people are going to like make them, you know, try to make them in like a good way. And, you know, not make them too corny so that people stop wearing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but um, no, I'm not judging anyone's hats. I love everyone's hats. I love, I love hats. I love people doing it. You know, I'm down. I've always been down. Yeah. And the fact that it, there's more and more people making them, I'm just like, dope. Let's go. Yeah, I'm the same. And that man. was even before I was selling. Now that I'm selling materials, now I'm really rooting for everybody. <laughs> but. But even before, I was always like, I was, you know, I put myself out there early. Like, if you have questions, call it. Yeah. I don't know that I know the answer, you know. And I'm not saying you should make hats like I make hats, but. That's because you're a giver, you know. You, I think you, uh, well, I know that you see beyond the, that what is, you know. And I think uh, that's part of what you, like, it's, it's a huge part of what you do. I think most people like realize there's something beyond you know and and they understand that's kind of a a hat is an embodiment of all these things <clears throat> and uh i think like what you're doing is creating that space you know and that, and the hat is a tool and it is a medicine and it's it's a great um object that can facilitate healing yeah you know totally. and not just for the wearer but also for the maker yeah yeah here we are Living these beautiful lives, getting to be upright in how we move through the world, getting to be present for our families, getting to like, you know, be, yeah, it's a great path. It's a great path. I recommend it for anyone. Even my friends that are struggling now, they're like, oh, I should have gone into hats. I'm like, it's not too late. Yeah. Come make hats. It's fun. Get in on it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> That's awesome. What come, are you doing? Come help me. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, man. When I first started, you were, like, <laughs> I think, one of the first that reached out and said, hey, welcome to the fam, man. And um, yeah, I always well, I liked what you were making. I always appreciated that. I liked what you were making. Thanks, I still man. like what you make. Thank you. I look up to you. I look up to you, man. I, I, I like how you, uh, you reach, you think big, and you help big. I think that's yeah. a, a huge part. And yeah, man, I've always, uh, always looked up to you. And also, um, even though, you know, we don't speak so much, I always feel like a strong connection to you and, and what you do. And man, like, oh, yeah. um, I love the, <clears throat> the realness that you put into the work that you do and like how obvious and subtle your message is, mm. you know, because like, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer. And mm. I, I think like the, the healing and the medicine is, is what it's all about. Yeah. 
I used to try to explain it more and like almost like publicize it, that side of it. And I can't like deny that that's what's happening here because it is what's happening here. But it felt really bad when I tried to like push it. So I like I've never I've never paid like I've never done any ads or I've never done I've like never really tried to sell it, especially that part of it, because I yeah, it's just kind of like if you know you like if you feel it, great, yeah. it's available. And I swear to God, there are people that just like. I'm just must be invisible to because they're just not meant to see what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And I'll just be like, I mean, I'll be having like a whole function in the hat shop. Everyone's having a good time and people just like walk straight by. I'm just like, wow, you are not, <laughs> this is not for you. <laughs> We're having a great time. You're welcome. But, but that's cool. You know, it's good. It's good. It's good to trust that the right people will find their right hat maker. And like, I'm also all for like people going to see their local hat maker. Mm. Like, we're pretty spread out and it's like way easier. Like people hit me up obviously from all over the world to make them hats all the time. And I, I accept generally, but like if they don't specifically need me and I know, and I have like a friend to recommend close by, I'm, you know, it's so nice to get like fitted and like meet someone in person and like do that. So it's good. I mean, I'm, you know, it's like, if you had like a doctor, and like if you're like a doctor you'd like make a referral if someone was like in another state trying to like go see a doctor right yeah i think uh there's so much more to the the hat making experience like again for both the the client and for the maker if you can do it in person and yeah. um i've always put myself in kind of out of the way places because i i like the peace and quiet and yeah. the the nature but more and yeah. more, I'm feeling like I need to be where there's people so I can have that interaction yeah. rather than it all being uh, digital or online. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess what I was, I mean, the geography thing is, it's good to do it in person. It's nice. To, I pr- much prefer to do it in person. And I could do a better job when I'm in person with someone because I can actually like feel their head and like, you know, I mean, I could tell a lot about what someone's head feels like just by touching their head, even without a conformator. You know, you can like, and I can been doing it long enough that I can, I know my blocks. I know we can dream a hat. I can feel their head and I can, I can in person, I can always make it fit great when it's over the phone and I'm trusting their measurement, you know, but it's cool. I'm down. What I was more trying to say is like, I think everyone finds their hat maker yep. and like everyone is like bringing a different flavor and bringing a different aesthetic, but more than the aesthetic, like a different, like, you know, we're all people and we all have our vibe and like meet linking I just, yeah, I just love, I'm not like looking at people and being like, oh, they all need to buy my hats. I'm like, <laughs> this is, you know, may may everyone find the hat maker that is meant to make their hat. And most importantly, like, may people just wear more hats. Yeah. It's a good thing. It's just a good thing. It's a better thing. It's, a, it's net positive. Hats are net positive for everybody involved. Yeah, more flavors. Like yeah. Yeah, like shoes. Although going barefoot is probably a little bit better. Love barefoot. <laughs> I'm barefoot right now. So when you're um, designing a hat, like not maybe particularly for somebody, but when you're own, like where do you get your inspiration from? Like where are you drawing your? Uh... I mean, it's all like, like I said, it's all like a collaboration generally with the people who I'm sourcing the trim from. So if it's not the weavers or the beaters, or the metalsmiths, it's whoever was, you know, 
in Japan making that piece of old cotton 50 years ago that's going to turn into the next hat band. But I always have my eyes out for beautiful hat things. And I've been doing it for long enough now that I have eyes all over the place of people that are looking for hat things for me, you know? So I get, I get inspired when, um, mostly when new pieces come in front of me and I'm like, Oh, that color's dope. And like, Oh, I've been holding off this thing. That'll go good with that color. Okay. Now we got that, you know, going. And then, you know, for shape, again, I'm always, I'm making things that I, I don't, I, I have a very hard time narrowing myself to a specific aesthetic. It would probably be better for my business if I did narrow myself to a specific aesthetic. <laughs> but I kind of just like, I love the possibilities. I love the endless possibilities. You know, and I have so many hat bodies at my disposal that I have endless possibilities for felt, you know, for so when I'm in shape, so I can make crazy shit. Let's see if I even have anything sitting around right now. I don't so really have that many hats. Would you have a way to describe your style or, or what you think your style might be? I mean, again, because I think that. I don't know if it's counts as like, if I had to like put like a label, no, I don't even want to do it because I make so many different kinds of hats. I mean, when I'm designing hats, I think like, you know, like a cosmic psychedelic cowboy aesthetic, but also, I mean, but also, I mean, they're medicine hats. I mean, they're, they're these, all of the pieces, there's no crap on it. Every piece that goes on a hat is like made by someone most of people that are making these pieces are indigenous people and they're, you know, they're carrying through their ancestral traditions. They're carrying, they're writing stories from their ancestors on these, in these weavings, or they're, you know, doing silver, you know, making silver buttons of like the, you know, local flowers that have sustained their people that they want to honor. So like the style is like medicine, you know, it's upright. It's like, it's like carrying, you know, these pieces all carry story. They carry the energies of these places and of the, you know, of the um, spiritual traditions of com communicating with the spirits through these pieces. And when you choose to wear it, like, you know, you, you get to walk with that. And you also get to know that, like, you are actively supporting people that are able to continue their doing their thing you know, that they've been doing for so long. And the reality is like, you know, these like bands, you know, like these beautiful bands from Peru, like it's really hard, like selling this as a bracelet, it's really hard to make a business out of that, you know, but as soon as it goes on a hat band, mm -hmm. I can sell it for enough that I can pay them enough that it can not only support the family, but it can look viable for the next generation. Yeah. and that that is that connective power that i'm talking about you know where there's there's reciprocity there's this like i need this reciprocity going in both directions and these people don't will never meet each other they'll only meet each other through the hat but all ships rise like everyone is doing better because this connection has happened through this hat so i would say that is like the style right it's like it's like quality pieces that are made you know by hand by someone or old vintage finds which are 
you know, a fair amount of the stuff that goes on my hats are old things, but even that, I mean, you know, they've been, they're ready to, for new life. I, I, outside of the edge binding ribbon that I use pretty much none of the trim is like, if it's new, it's made by like, you know, indigenous hands. Yeah. I'm curious, um, where, how you built your philosophy and and how you have this uh, great desire to connect and to share and to uplift all the people that you come in contact with and and I'm, yeah I'm just curious how how you pulled that together and and how that um, became so important in your life. I mean, so like I said, when I went to go move to New Orleans, I was working in the prison system there, right? I was working in the prison system and I was selling hats on the weekend and tacos. And like my whole, I, we had great taco business at night. Um, my mom's side were all like lawyers, mostly for like some kind of righteous cause. And my dad's side sold clothing, mm -hmm. coats. <clears throat> so here I was like working in a law office on the weekdays and like selling clothing on the weekends. And like everything about wanting to like do right in the world was saying, go be a civil rights attorney and like defend the people that are most having, you know, the most challenged, the most oppressed people in your own neighborhood. But I saw, and I worked tirelessly at that job to try to help people. And I just kept getting beaten down every time that I would try to make some kind of change. It would just, excuse me. Every time I would try to, I would get a step in making a change. The system would just come and crumble upon me. And knock me right back down to where I was. No change made. And I was, and I, I praise the people that have dedicated themselves to that kind of work. You know, the teachers and like the people working in the world of social justice. Bless you and thank you. And come get a discounted hat from me because I couldn't do it. But I saw the way that people were uplifted in the hat shop, in the Gorman Brothers hat shop by hats. And I saw the way that I could touch people very directly, you know, and, and, and have an immediate cause of creating more beauty and more life, especially the men, um, you know, but the women too, but you know, people that are just not used to being told that they look beautiful and not used to looking in the mirror and like feeling beautiful. And like your face is so particular, you know, you can't escape it. You can't like, I mean, unless you're gonna do plastic surgery, but you can't like work out to like sculpt your face. Like you basically get like how you cut the hair on it and like how you frame it with a hat. Hmm. So getting these, you know, men from the middle of, you know, from wherever that had not looked in the mirror and felt beautiful in a very long time. And they were getting this moment where like, everyone's like, damn, you look great. And not like, oh, that's a cool jacket. It's like, you look good. Your face right now, you look beautiful. And I think it was, I think it brings a lot of healing, you know, especially to the masculine to hear that because men often don't get a chance to hear that. and. I think men not hearing that enough, you know, not feeling beautiful makes them do not beautiful things. So I saw a lot of change happening. I also saw how much people with very little resources cared about their hats. I was in Ecuador this one time that when I was looking for hats that first time and I was in the market and I spot a fur hat across the market and I like walk over to this old guy because I was looking for hats and it was early in the journey, right? I was mostly finding straw. I found there, there is a felt factory in Ecuador, but um, 
but I found a fur and I was like, man, I gotta go see that guy. So I go over there and um and I ask him about his hat and he rips it off his head. He says, Not my hat. And he has holes in his shoes. I mean, this guy's got very little resources, obviously. Very, you know, living on very little. Old man. He rips off his head. He says, I went all the way to the border to buy this hat. This is my most prized possession. Like, I can't have my hat. I thought I was trying to like take his hat from him or trying to buy it. And I've seen that over and over where people that have very little feel something, feel that they whatever little they have to spend, they want to spend it on a hat because there's something that wearing a hat does that people, even when they're downtrodden and having such a hard time, makes them feel beautiful and makes them feel more alive. And I saw how much I could help out the like homeless population, you know, or the, or the people that were really struggling in New Orleans by giving them a free hat. And I was like, for all the ways I'm trying to help these people in prison and getting nowhere through this simple gesture of making of, of having hats available for people, I was like, it felt like I was actually like changing lives. I don't know if I was, I could be totally imagining that it was as helpful as it was. But from the look that I saw on people and the way that I saw people treating each other at the end of the interaction with the hat versus the beginning of the interaction with the hat, it looked healing to me. And, and it felt healing for me because I had been hearing these prayers for a long time of wanting to do good with my life and wanting to help the world and do something beautiful. I've also been knowing that I needed to create some kind of business that I could feed my family. I also knew that I needed to, um, or that it was important to me to, um, to be, you know, praying. And I didn't want to be like a white boy shaman. Now I really don't want to, now that there's so many white boys, but even back then I didn't want to do it. And it was a little bit more acceptable, but I knew, but I knew that I wanted to be making prayers with people. And I, and it, and it clicked for me very quickly. There was a night that it just clicked that I was like, I'm going to make hats, make medicine hats. And I just started, you know, doing it for my friends. And, um, and it was right after that woman, I said that beautiful woman came in and wanted to buy the hat off my head. But, um, but I, yeah, it all kind of clicked at once that hats would be a way for me to fulfill these objectives that felt important to me for my life's work. And it's working, you know, now it's like been a decade and, and it's, it's, I mean, it, there's plenty of like things that come up all the time, little fires to put out all the time, but like generally it's like, feels like it's working. Everyone feels happy. I'm not getting a lot of complaints from anyone and I'm getting to live the life that I want to live and like do and, you know, stay, you know, do the work that I want to do, which is like, I still get to make hats a lot. I get to like bring the hats out to other places and meet people. And I get to maintain these relationships with all of these artisans and like be helping them to figure out how to navigate, um, you know, markets generally, right? Like a lot of folks that I work with, you know, they didn't have, they weren't like, they had never shipped something internationally, you know, they weren't receiving money internationally, you know, there's like a lot of things to like figure out to bring them at all, you know, into this. And then how can I do it? And then, and then constantly being in the conversation with them and with, you know, my, my people here and just with myself of like, how can I do this in a really responsible way where like whatever I'm building is going to be able to sustain itself. And like, where there is an actual reciprocity that is continuing and it takes vigilance all the time. Like if I'm going to be walking this path, if that's going to be my objective, you know, 
that's it's not an easy north star to actually carry especially as you as it's become a bigger business i have to stay super vigilant you know and say no to shit and like and really um yeah just like remember just like remember the integrity and not get ahead of myself and not think that anything has to be any kind of way that's when i find myself in the most trouble is if i get caught up in what i think needs to happen you know as much as i can just like allow what is happening to happen and like figure out how i can most gracefully fit into it or how i can most if it's part of the hampui ecosystem how i can most gracefully get you know whatever's blocked to unblock itself that's good but when i get too caught up in what i think i need or what i think needs to happen it goes it's it, starts to get stressful for everybody yeah i think that's in all areas really like <clears throat> when you start to stress out it's it's really like you lose that trust and that faith and once you lose yeah. faith like everything's on your shoulders rather than letting totally. who else who, whatever else needs to do the work and guide the way exactly man some of the things that you've been saying have been really resonating with me um relationships has been one of them that comes up um, that reciprocity within those relationships and responsibility. And yeah. um, I feel like those are some key issues that, that have been coming up with me lately and, and to find like real meaning in those things. Um, oh, yeah. You said that um, there's a North Star, something that is kind of guiding or the way or that's that's the leading the way. What is What is that for you? I think that... Th- the the three things that kind of carry us through. I mean, like I said, it's like keeping the integrity of the materials strong, keeping the relationships strong, keeping the, you know, the faith in. in but a uh, way that Elder broke one time in, I had a long, was having a long conversation with this elder, and what I distilled from the conversation, which has been very helpful for me, is um these like three principles the first is um one of the great joys of being alive is um making commitments that we're excited about making and then fulfilling those commitments right or like the way i thought about it is like fill your plate with food that you enjoy eating and then eat all of it you don't have to commit to things that you don't want to commit to but when you make commitments it feels really good to fulfill them. And it feels really crappy to me to not fulfill them. So making commitments and fulfill, making, com- making commitments that we are excited about and fulfilling those commitments, number one. Uh, number two, um, our relationships are everything and like tend to our relationships, human and non-human. But like we are not, we are our relations and ten- and they take constant tending. So tending to our relationships with all of our relations is paramount. Um, The third is go with the obvious or make sure that you've at least checked out the obvious before you start looking for too many other like hidden possibilities. Because very often the like, what what is for us is like what is handed right to us. And maybe we don't want it at first. So we start looking for like, oh, but what if it's this? Or like, maybe I haven't looked enough here. And like, and a lot of times what is handed to us, we don't actually want, but it's what, but it is actually the best thing for us. 
But if we can just, you know, at least acknowledge the elephant, you know, at least like be with what is like obviously right there before we try too much other stuff, we will save ourselves a lot of time and energy. And I have to come back to that all the time. I'm constantly checking. I'm like, have I checked the obvious answer right now? Have I seen that one through? And it it does save me a lot of energy to do that because, you know, you like to work with hats too. There's usually an obvious hat when someone walks in, you know, someone's usually like, they look at, you try on five different colors, their eyes light up at one. You could take another two hours talking about the pros and cons of this tan versus that tan or why a gray hat might look nice with that new dress or a blue hat with their eyes. Like, but like when they looked at themselves, their eyes lit up when Mm. one color went on, that's the one they should have. Yeah. So. So those those have been helpful for me. I I try to get back to those when I can. The commitment one's hard, you know. That's it's it's re- we're really conditioned to try to people please. As small business owners, we're super conditioned to try to people please because mm-hmm. um, we value our customers and we want them to have an amazing experience. We're charging a fair amount for our product. It all makes sense. But um, just being, yeah, I think in the business, it's been really mindful to be like, is this a commitment that I want to take on? If it is. I will do everything I can to see through fulfilling that commitment. If it's not a commitment that I want to take on, I'll like humbly pass and try to figure out, is there someone in my network that can help you out? And I, that to me, there's like a big, the integrity piece is like, that's like a big piece of like where it is. It's it's not just not fulfilling your commitments. It's like actually like over the overextension that winds up really like being people's downfall from what I've seen. Yeah. How would you, um, help someone navigate that like how do you know what's a commitment you want to take on versus one that you probably should not accept i mean in the business world i mean it's you know following your intuition trusting that like there is time i mean it takes it's a little bit easier i think to get in the how business world now because there's a lot more resources than there were when we were starting there's more felt suppliers there's more tools available there's more youtube videos probably and like and it's still it all takes time like building honing a craft building a clientele building a, your tool box you know to be able to do it well and more swiftly like all that stuff takes time and like in this like you know we're like all lost in this like startup culture like you should like take off and like pay the internet to like make you a bunch of money and like and then like sell your business and retire early but it's like that shit that that doesn't happen like i mean it does happen in some industries rarely but like if you can just like i believe it's much better in our uh, the way that we have been able to navigate this far is to just like pause for the cause and just like go slow, you know, and also take the opportunities when they come, right? Like we've, we've like either had capacity to make more hats. So a bigger order comes Mm -hmm. or a bigger order comes. So we get the capacity to make more hats. And like through that, the business has built, but it wasn't like, I'm going to go buy like a ton of inventory right now. And then like, force it on the world you know Mm. so yeah i think you know patience is crucial patience will help not overextending and like um 
yeah, lifestyle is, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. There's a lot of ways to be a human. There's a lot of ways, you know, hats are like great currency. There's many things that I have been able to pay for in my life, trading for hats everywhere from like dental work to, you know, festival food, to whatever, all, all sorts of yeah. stuff you can trade for hats. Everyone wants a hat. And that's a cool, I mean, that's a good economy for me. I would rather, I mean, I, I that hats have a good exchange rate for me. And I like, I would rather be in relation with people through that kind of commerce than just like, okay, I can get this money from this person and pay this money for that person. I love my people that I get to, that I have a, you know, some people at this point, it's not even like a trade relationship. They just like constantly bring me things that they think I like. And I usually do. And when they need a hat, they just come and make a hat. Yeah. And no one's keeping score. Yeah, that's a nice way. Bartering and uh, especially for other people that hand make things or, or you know, that whole totally. that whole world of, of being able to put love and attention into into a creation and then to, to, to share that with someone else rather than just this monetary exchange is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super grateful. I'm grateful that I get to be in a, yeah, community of people that are have honed some kind of skill. When you were starting out, were there hat makers that you looked up to? I mean, the hat maker that I most looked up to was my buddy Don Oscar in Bolivia, you know, pushing out his, I mean, his, what he was able to do, the like precision that he was able to achieve, the swiftness with which he was able to make these hats and like manipulating like hard to work with felts on like really tall blocks i mean looking back on what he was actually able to do it, that is a more impressive hat maker than any other hat maker that i have ever seen yeah. given the equipment that he had the type of hats that he was trying to make and the material that he was making it with i didn't know it at the time but it was very impressive um I mean, who was on the scene? Obviously, everyone was watching Nick. He was like earlier in his career and everyone was watching to see what he, you know, was going to do. I, you know, have a great deal of respect for him and what he's done for the industry. Um, I, who was I talking to at that time? You know, Brandon Wise was in LA. I had a, I don't know. I mean, it was early, like it was kind of early days of Instagram for yeah. me. It was like when I got an Instagram was for my hats. So there was like a small crew of people that were making hats and posting them on the internet. And, um, yeah, there were, I mean, there, if I actually went back and thought about it, there were many hat makers that I was, um, watching, admiring. And, yeah, you know, whenever I'd pop into a town, I'd go find the hat maker, introduce myself. Yeah. Do you still look or observe and see what, what's happening out there now that you've got your uh, felt supply company watching what your customers make? Are there any ones? Well, that... I watch you, Jack. Ah, oh, thanks, man. I'm always, I'm always <laughs> waiting to see what you're going to make. Um, yeah, I do. I keep tabs. I mean, I, 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 I keep tabs. 
I especially like to see what people make out of the Nutria for. I love seeing these like colors, you know, because I sit there in the lab with them, like a load of like pipettes of dye drops to like get the pink just right, you know, to get the tan just right, you know. Um, so when I see, you know, I feel like I have done something in the making of these hats and it's collaboration. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've done my part in making it felt nice. So, you know, I love, I love seeing, um, I love seeing what people are, are making out there with those. And are there any skins you know, out you can, for you? Any, any, any hatters oh, out you there that you like? Yeah, give up. some names, drop some names, make everyone feel part of it. Um, <laughs> Willie's top five. I mean, oh, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. Rude. rude. Um, I mean, with the felt, I got to give it up to Colby in Colby Herbert in yeah. um, Louisiana because he's comes from the land of the Nutria and he knows about it. And he took me when we were out in. Louisiana with like a film crew going to like see what was going down out there. He took me to go kick it with alligator Danny Dago. And we just like stayed up all night drinking his rye and um talking about hats. And I just I got a lot of I got a love a lot of love and respect for him. Um uh Senor Legbas out there in your neck of the woods. I've been, you know, he's, he's been around, he was doing it when I started and I've been watching him and loving on him. I love the hats Kate Havstad makes. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know if you've gotten to actually see one of her hats in person. Yeah, I actually she's have. Yeah. I have seen She's one. an amazing hat maker and just an awesome woman. Um, Orlando Palacios in New York yep. is doing dope hats forever. Um, Blakesby out on your side of the pond. He's a big nutria where, and I love seeing that he can just make those like real buttery, you know, traditional, you know, just like real classic fedoras. And, you know, it's funny. Cause like now that I'm selling all these hat bodies and like, I don't really, I, I step in on the like customer service questions when there's like a real question, but I realize how many people are like really winging it right now by the kind of questions that I get. Um, <laughs> And a lot of the times I want to just be like, you know, I can help you kind of, but like, you got to have some like basic understanding of how to make a hat. And like, you know, anyway, um, but I love uh, the way that Blakespeare's taking these bodies and just showing me every, like all of these different, I mean, he's getting all kinds of crowns out of them. He's getting all kinds of different the brims to hold in all these different ways. And I'm just like, when I see that, I'm like, anyone that's complaining to me about anything right now is like, it's not the felt, you know, the felt can do this. I know what the felt can do, you know, but I'm also, you know, I'm trying to help people. If I had all the time in the world, I'd be making instructional videos and doing more to kind of help the, help the people. But I'm, I'm kind of busy, but I, I would like to do that more. I should really do that more. I think Yeah. more just like, you know, for the hat young hat makers out there. If I was really walking my talk, I would do that more. But so on the seeds for the up and comers. But I th- yeah. I think I what like do you're doing is uh man, you're providing the the canvases for everyone to to work on. And that's super, Honored. super important. What Honored. is that pro- you're trying to do good 
good like customer service is important. Like my my business partner who I started this thing with back in the day, um, when it was becoming a business, uh-huh. uh, he he runs a lot of the like sunrise stuff, and you know, we just like he like really cares, and I really care. Like we like care. And like, if there's any issues, like we're going to hit you back quick, yep. you know, we're going to like, we know what kind of inventory we have. And we're like, we got held up this last six months, but I think we're back on track to have plenty of felt. Awesome. We got messed up. The first situation got messed up for all the hat makers out there that are like, why is all the felt messed up? What's Winchester doing? And the fur situation has been pretty, something happened, some between the war and Ukraine, I think. And a bunch of new hat makers hitting the scene and there was like this like rush with some of the big hat makers of like trying to um i think they thought it was going to be a big year and so they like bought up a whole bunch of fur but yeah it was pretty dry but it should be good we should be like locked and loaded and full of bodies so the flow is coming back the flow is here what, they're looking good what is the um felt production process like for you like so you had to work out so a new material, which is Nutria, and then like um, different thicknesses, stiffenings, yeah, colors so and everything like that. Yeah. So you start with like the blend, if you're going to blend. Ours are, for the dark one, yeah, I mean, it's it's 100x. There might be a tiny bit of rabbit fur and some of the lighter ones to make it bind. Yeah. But it's not, I mean, anyone selling 100x hats, there's usually a little bit of rabbit to make it bind in the light colors. Um. But yeah, so you get your blend just right so that the felt is uniform. It's going to be uniform. Weigh it, right? So you figure out the weight. So we do 230 and one, 230 Western and 160 um, dress. And then, and then it gets blown up into this cotton candy machine, basically, that blows it up in the air. A big wet cone goes in the middle. The fur catches onto the cone. The wet, like, you know, basically, whatever, two yard meter big cone person basically person size cone comes out and gets uh and then it goes to the tumblers and then it gets heated up and then shrinks it then it gets dyed then it gets stiffened and then there's a first blocking to give it a crown ish yeah and all along the way there's decisions to be made so how much the blend and then the weight and then how much of that goes into the crown versus the brim of that weight and then the color which is like its own little like laboratory to figure out the colors we use all natural dyes in our colors also which is they're all come from natural sources um and then the lacquer so all along the way there's little decisions to be made how long did it take you to um come to your perfect blend and uh shellacking and all, all that type of stuff I think, you know, honestly, I'm still, I'm going to make the Western weight a little bit stiffer than they were in this last batch. So I'm not even quite there yet. I mean, it's close though. Yep. I'm going to make the Western brims a little bit stiffer and I'm going to keep the crowns as they are. But um, it's, I mean, we got an amazing team down there that's like constantly doing their own spot checks. The guy that runs the fur production was an orphan that my you know, associate took in when he was like 14 off the street, taught him everything he knew, Don Pedro, and now he's running the fur game. And I mean, they're really dedicated to their product. They take a lot of pride in what they do. So, you know, we're always, 
they're also not used, you know, they also, any bodies that they were making before were getting pressed on presses. So trying mm -hmm. to make a body that sits well in a press, in a hydraulic press, is very different than trying to make a body that is easy to pull over a block and then sets well, that you're not going to worry about it falling apart. Yeah, it looks like there's a fair bit in, in the process in trying to work it all out yeah. and find that perfect blend. But I think you got it, man. It's um, they're, they're beautiful felts, really, really magic. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Definitely a, I'm, a favorite. I'm, I'm grateful. It took, I mean, it took a while. And then, you know, it's a big investment. I mean, I never, I've never taken any like investment from anybody. I've just been reinvesting in the business. But when you, if you want to have inventory here available, you know, you got to, we got to warehouse a bunch. So it's definitely, um, there's a lot in the back end to go to like, you know, make it all, yeah. all the cash flows work out. But big, big investment for the people. Yeah. Doing it uh, for us. I invite you all for them to come get how about his. Um, I think it's good. You know, I think it, it's, I think the price is, the price feels fair. The quality's there and, and we'll stay. Uh, I mean, a big thing is just keeping it, keeping the inventory there so we can be reliable for you guys. Yeah, man. Well, I tip my hat to you for sure for all that. So, man, a question that I like to ask everyone is, um, which person, past or present, would you like to make a hat for? Oof. Specifically to make a hat for? Probably Andre 3000 from Outcast. I just think he's very inspirational in his aesthetic and music, and I'd like to kick it and make a hat. Also make a hat for Erica Badu. I mean, just for the chance to kick it, I'd make a hat for Bob Marley. Yeah. I don't know if he'd want to make a hat with me, but if he, if I, if I like if part of the question was they definitely want to make a hat with me, I'd make a hat with Bob Marley. Absolutely, need some bigger, big old uh, blocks for those dreads. Need a big hat, but I make them. <laughs> I make them. I, I one of the things that I have made sure about is that I don't. I I make sure that I block even in my less expensive hats. I make sure that I block. The extra smalls. I mean, I block a 54 to a 63, 64 yep. to make sure that there's hats for everybody. Because that's hard for a lot of people. You know, people are like, they want to wear hats. They got, you know, they have dreads or they have really little head or like they don't fit on the normal spectrum. And like, they feel banned from hats. Yeah. Hats don't fit me. Yeah. My head's too big for hats. And you know, there's always like shame around it. So I like, I like getting to, um, make people feel welcome into the world of wearing hats that have previously felt like it's not for them because of their head size. Felt outcast by because of their head size, yeah. It's not it's not an uncommon thing. I always love um, those customers because they always tend to come back. Right. You know? yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. They're stuck. They're so stuck. They've been waiting. Yeah, there's also um Yeah, there's a um There is, I think a lot of people, I'm sure that you have heard this. I'm sure all of you out there have heard this, that I'm, I'm not a hat person. Yeah. Maybe you don't have to hear that so much, but I think a lot of people get turned off by hats because they, you know, faces are so unique. They walk into the store 
there's like a couple of hats available. The chances of that hat fitting well and looking good, you know, if you walked into a shoe store and there were only like three pairs of shoes available, you would maybe think you were not a shoe person. But that's what's so beautiful about what we're doing, making these custom hats, because it really does open up all of that. That that excuse that a hat doesn't look good on me, it just, I mean, it, it just takes opening your heart and mind long enough to try it out because if someone's making you a hat that's to look good on you, it's probably gonna look good on you. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Absolutely. Man, I've had to go through that myself after cutting my hair off. It's like trying to find a new style of hat, a new way to wear it. Like, uh, you know? Now you're right. I don't know, man. I'm still struggling trying to find, great, <laughs> trying to find it. Great. Trying to find it. Uh, anyway, looks good. see how it goes. Still got weird. Yeah, just I, I trimmed it down too. Trying to, I'm ready for a haircut. Trying to uh, be the new improved version of myself, but I think I took a backward step. Anyway, um, so <laughs> coming close to the end, do you have any uh, future plans or, or what are your future plans? How are you going to uh, move through this universe and share the love? Um, I'm going to try to, to well, I'm going to keep making hats. I intend to continue to make hats. And I intend to continue to um, find ways to keep to keep the energy flowing. You know, I, I'm really grateful to like some of the bigger accounts that we have, and like some of the ways that we're able to like take some of the financial pressure off, so that it can stay really fun, and so that we can stay really generous with all of our artists and partners. So like. It is, you know, we have like a couple of accounts that help out a lot with the the financial workings of this by buying, you know, bigger quantities. So it would probably behoove me to go get a couple more of those so that, you know, it can just stay like kind of light and fun and chill. Because obviously the more you got going, the more you got going, you know. And it's really easy once you have like a functioning business with different people working and blah, 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 to like get lost in the sauce, you know, and like either stop doing anything because you just are like a bored boss somewhere or like get too in the middle of everything. And then you're, you know, like I was saying, I wind up causing too much chaos when I get too in the middle of it. Um, it's just, yeah, you got to just, um, and I feel like I have responsibility to more people and I want to do right by them. So, um, in this coming year, my intention on like a more kind of esoteric or like theoretical philosophical plane is um, just to like know my lane within the ecosystem of Hampui and like know where I am actually like the most helpful mm -hmm. to do what I do in order for all of this to continue to work and for the energy to continue to flow and for the people to feel welcome here um, and to be able to continue to, you know, touch all of the kind of far-flung people that are touched through what we're doing here. Um, you know, I have, uh, I have intentions to be generous, you know, that's like, that to me is a sign of success, right? It's not like how much you can hoard, right? It's like, how much do you have to give? And and not like give with your name attached to it or give because you want something in return or tax break or whatever. Like, you know, just like to be 
creating in a generative way you know like when you like or when i'm like sitting around a fire working a fire for like a ceremony you know that fire can either like drain you if you're interacting it from it with it in, in a place that's exhausting and your energy is all over the place you get exhausted and you get burnt and it's uncomfortable but like that working with a fire like that can also be really generative if you're like dancing with it humble with it, listening to it quiet enough that you can feed it where it needs feeding and let it breathe where it needs breathing. So the energy kind of goes inward and upward and not like shooting out in all directions. Like it can be generative, even when you're dealing with this like big, you know, you know, seemingly, I mean, all of this feels like it's none of this feels guaranteed. You know, none of this is promised. It could come collapsing down on me at any moment for many reasons it could come collapsing down on me at any moment. I don't take any of it for granted, but when it is, when this swirl of energy is creating more life is creating, is creating energy is creating like more connections and abundance and like joy. It's working well. If it starts depleting me, my employees, if customers feel depleted because they're not getting the right hat or it's not whatever reason they're feeling like they're not getting what they need, like then something needs to shift. So my intention is to, for, for, to be able to, you know, listen and, and like, you know, receive that, which wants uh, to, to, to my, my prayer is that it is obvious for me for the answers to continue to be obvious for me so that I can, and that I can have the courage to see the obvious thing and take the step for it so that this network ecosystem life force of Hampui and Sunrise can continue to grow and create, you know, joy, life. More, you know, more materially, I, it was my birthday two weeks ago and I haven't made my birthday hat. So I'm feeling a real pressure to make myself know <laughs> that. But I can't, I think I might do the sage color. Check this out. Show, show. This is a nice color. Mm. Look at that. Have you made one of these yet? Not the sage, no. This is the dress weight. This mm. is the dress weight. This is the dress weight 160. Well, yeah. Oh, and all you hat makers out there, we have seconds available that have like very minor blemishes and are well discounted. So if you're make, if you're distressing your hats at all, check out our second section. And there's um really like primo hat bodies for well discounted. And you can sign up for our mailing list to get information of when we have new colors coming out and more inventory and updates. Look at that. Get on it. What? How wide is that brim on that uh, dress weight? This is dress weight. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty wide brim. That's pretty wide. You're not going to get For that out of a Winchester felt. <laughs> uh, I can't find a ruler right now, but I'd say it's we're probably. Like three and a half, nearly four. Yeah, well over four inches. Wow. Yeah, that's a nice color. Nice dress. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. They're good. Yeah, man. I want, and, and we're down. We're down to help. And we're down for feedback. I mean, you know, it's for the people. So, like, if everyone says that they want it, 
I'm making it how I like to make them. But if everyone was like, we need a little more, like we were making them with 220 gram for our Western weight was 220 for a while. And we got enough feedback being like, yo, we want an extra, we need a little more material here. Yeah. So we threw another 10 grams in. And they're, a little, they're a little wider than they were in the beginning, which is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, man. Right. So good. So good. Yeah. 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 Dream work, dream work. Yeah. All, all ships rise. Sunrise. Yeah. That's where I, that's when I thought about sunrise, that's what I was thinking about. All ships rise. You know that old thing when the sea rises, it lifts all ships or whatever. Absolutely. And that feels like the thing for us, right? It's like this there's a rising tide of of people wanting to wear hats, you know, and we're all catching it. And it's like we're either all gonna ride it together and like yeah, big each other up and make a culture out of it, you know, and like continue to make hat wearing like an acceptable and like respectable thing to do you know or people will start like fighting with each other and eating or whatever you know yeah i i hope I, I hope that we all stay in it together you know i hope that there's i appreciate what you're doing jack bring doing this podcast you know and like bringing a place for people to come and listen and be inspired by each other and you know obviously we're all out on ig and like some people are like you know hecka quiet and some people aren't like i see you're up on there like digging up other hat makers and like feeling that sense of community and camaraderie. We all have a lot of shared. We're a very unique bunch of people that have dedicated themselves to this craft. Like, and like I said, there's certain things that you kind of notice about a lot of us that mm -hmm. are like, Oh, okay. They're like a mad hatter. They like, that's what they were here to do. And, um, so I'm grateful that you're bringing the people together and I'm for it. And I'm here in service as best I can be to the, you know, to the hat making community. And I'm saying that to you because I'm sure that you're out there listening to this. So, Yeah, thank you, brother. You are one of the real ones indeed. And uh, I think everyone can feel it and in, through all your words and, and all the work that you're doing and all the things that you're doing behind the scenes that maybe people aren't truly aware of. But hopefully after listening to this, they'll start to get a little glimpse behind the veil. I don't reveal myself many, Jack. <laughs> but I appreciate you inviting me on here. I'm very honored. I'm very grateful at the opportunity to, you know, share my story with people that I think could actually, you know, either benefit from it or relate to it, you know, and I hope that, you know, it does bring more connections for me with whoever is here. You know, my my door's open. So Thanks, Willie. Yeah, man, I feel like we've only barely scratched the surface and I'm truly keen to get you back on for some more of your awesome stories. I keep talking. Man, love it. Love it. Before you go, can you tell everyone where they can find you and how they can get a hold of your hats and or your beautiful felt bodies? Yeah, so Hampui Hats, H-A-M-P-U-I, is a, it's a Quechua word. It means soul of mine returned to me, calling the parts of yourself that have been you know lost in the sauce through all the ways that we suffer in our life calling those bits of ourselves back into us uh humpui humpui hats um we have a website we have an instagram i'm on the other side of both of those um even after all this time so um say what's up sunrise hat supplies is the um hat body uh business and we've you know we have worked with different folks um but we're starting to work with superior down in Colombia to start stocking some of his tools here um i don't know if you've seen his tools yeah. that he's making with it 
Some beautiful super. Down I mean, there. I've like sampled all the all of them, and he's my fave. So I have asked if we could s- stash some of his stuff here, so he doesn't have to deal with the shipping costs and everything. So those will be available soon on our website as well. And you know, like I got sort, I got lines on like a bunch of different things. So you can always for the hat makers out there, especially people trying to like grow the business want to talk about production possibilities or you're looking for a machine or whatever like my door's open i'm down i love this stuff so feel free to reach out and i'll help you as i can maybe you'll be able to help me so help each other let's do that yeah we all rise together all right my man thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure Can't wait till we're actually hanging out in the same room together. I'm sure we will have a good time. If you are ever in California, Man, I'm sure I will you be are chasing you down. Home. Don't you worry. My door is open. Spare bedroom. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Bring the fam, bring the fam down right. to Australia. We'll hang out and go surfing. Yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. Hey, yeah. now we're talking. Yeah, get in the lab together. It'd be fun to make some hats together one day. Awesome. All right, All right brother. Talk to you soon. Come soon. Many blessings. Take care. Peace. Peace. And hats. All right, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with Willie from Humpuri Hats. If you want to connect with Willie or see more of his work, you can find him on Instagram at humpuri underscore hats or on his website, humpuriehats.com. If you want to get in on some of his beautiful Nutria felt offerings, go check out his sister company. It's called Sunrise Hat Supply and you can find them at sunrisehatsupply.com. If you're after some hat blocks or some tools or flanges, check out our sponsor, Hat Blocks Australia. They make some of the best hat blocks in the industry. They do free shipping worldwide and they have a lifetime warranty on everything they make. You can find them at hatblocksaustralia.com.au or on Instagram at hatblocksaustralia. Don't forget to follow the show, The Hatmakers Podcast, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And make sure you check out the Instagram page, The Hatmakers Podcast. My name is Jack. You can check out my work at Creatures of the Wild Unknown. I've got more podcasts coming next week, so make sure that you're listening for that one. And until then, my friends, keep on hatting.